today we're going to have a crack at some of the others and we'll see how we go and how long we how we go will be largely be determined by the noise level at the back and i suspect you know is the noise level right okay that is god saying we should stop and have coffee um so uh it's all on your shoulders kids um so today we're going to start off thinking uh let's start off with uh envy not that any of us here struggle with envy uh but um uh, i i hear that other people do um and aren't i aren't we glad we're not like them um there's a story told uh in uh by the rabbis of a village of a, a small town and there were two shopkeepers and they were very competitive with each other and uh, god appeared gates right no one's envious of them because they that's a different level entirely uh but we're envious of the person next door to us who has a nicer holiday than us or you're envious of your colleague in the same office who gets promoted ahead of you or you're envious of somebody whose parents are better than yours or you know what i mean it's a small town thing um and it's exclusively interested in the gap between oneself and others it doesn't bother me if i have one eye as long as you're blind um uh and the it, envy it's it's the goal of being at the same level as you or higher than you and of course i can get there either by promoting myself or by pulling you down and uh and it totally kills the possibility of happiness so unlike all the other sins they offer you some passing taste of happiness so greed or lust or power gives you some happiness at least envy gives you no happiness um uh how do we what's the little phrase we use to describe envy as a culture in australia the tall poppy syndrome we um australians and envy is a very it's a very ugly uh emotion and experience and it's not one we ever admit to having in polite company do we 
Like you just, but it's there, right? It's, it's there in us. Um, and you might think, well, hang on, if I'm a Christian, I'm going to be free of envy. Well, you might think that. But there are all kinds of spiritual forms of envy. Envy can be, can, can that energy for envy and comparison can apply itself in any sort of way. So um, Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, the waiting father, or the envious older brother. You may know the story. Um, two brothers, uh, the younger one goes, hey, dad, I wish you were dead so I could have your money. Actually, why don't you just give me your money? Takes half the money, brings utter disgrace on his father and his older brother, goes off, wastes all the money, is on death's door, comes back uh, after squandering the family, his inheritance, bringing utter shame and disgrace on everybody, comes home. The father welcomes him home. The father throws a big party for him. And the older brother then brings even more disgrace by refusing to go into the party that the father has thrown and basically says to the dad, dad, I have worked my butt off for you. I've done everything that's right. And you've never given me anything. But this turkey, this reprobate, this prodigal, you have just uh, lavished your love on. Um, and the older brother saying, I'm envious. He's gone off, had a good time, had all his money. And now he gets your love and grace and a great big party. And I have nothing. Now, far be it from any Christian person ever to be envious of someone else's spiritual status. Well, I've obeyed God my whole life. And uh, I've done what's right. And I deserve to be happy. I deserve to be blessed. I deserve to be at least ahead of those awful, wretched sinners. Now, in that sinner category, you can put any group of people who your subculture of Christian community despises. And that varies through time. Could be people who smoke. Could be people with tattoos. It could be black people. It could be white people. It could be Catholics. It could be Pentecostals. It could be uh, same-sex attracted people. It could be, oh, you know, you name any group of people and then somehow it feels wrong that God blesses them and he loves them and he showers his grace on them. And, and maybe even they, get a, they, have a, they have a life with more joy than your life and you're going, no, Lord, I've done what's right all the time. And yeah, that creeps in, doesn't it? Um, how about this? I learned this. This is, uh, so as I've said before, none of this material is original, by the way. It all comes from Christian Schwartz, this phenomenally insightful thinker and theologian and church researcher from Germany. And, and he tells, he, he has this idea after working with 80,000 churches around the world, helping them bring change in this organization development process. He says, one of the ways spiritual envy can work out is, um, we look at other churches that are growing and we ascribe it's got to be because they've sold out the gospel or they've compromised. It can't, it can't be because we're cut off from God and we're hard hearted and we're boring and stuck in our ways. Uh, it can't be that. The other way, he says very interestingly, why one of the resistances to change in new ideas in church, which we don't suffer from here, it goes something like this. Well, Lord, I have faithfully done what's right and put up with boring, irrelevant services and come to church out of duty all my life. 
Now, why should we change it so these young people can have something that's full of God and passionate and engaging? No, they should be bored and come to church out of duty just like I have for 50 years. That I was like, that explains the emotional energy behind the irrationality of embracing change in churches. Ha, okay. Why should they have a better church than I ever had? It was boring for me and boring for my kids. It's got to be boring for you and boring for your kids. Yeah, that's interesting. So um, what, is the, what is the energy uh, underneath envy? Well, it's the desire for identity. It's wanting to know that I matter, that I'm valuable, that I have purpose, that I have uh, meaning in this world. Uh, and this desire for identity, when, we, when it's not directed towards God and towards others, it leads to envy because I'm always going to be comparing myself to everyone else to try and build a sense of self. So again, using this model that Christians developed, you want this um, parabola that will uh, take your energy for identity, recognize your dependence on others. It's not a competition. It's not a zero-sum game. Your sense of identity and your meaning and purpose doesn't come from comparing yourself to others. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. You will grow and flourish and be enhanced to the extent that you are embedded in a community of diversity where there, where there are people who are better than you in all kinds of ways and who can bless you and people who where you are better than them in all kinds of ways where you can bless them. So the communal quality that we should work towards is uh, what Christian calls gift-based ministry, that, that we're all part of the body of Christ Everybody has different gifts, and real life comes from affirming each other's gifts, blessing each other. Uh, as Paul says in Romans, uh, we rejoice when others rejoice, and we weep when others weep. That comes when I go, man, you, God is blessing you. Things are going well for you. I'm so delighted for you. And, of course, when bad things happen to you, I'm so sad for you. Of course, that's the opposite. I mean, the energy, envy... <laughs> The Germans have a wonderful word for it, don't they? What's that? Schadenfreude. Yeah. So I, oh, you know, and we we dress this up in. Well, you know, I'm. You'll you'll say I'm very sad that you've lost your job, but inside you're like, yes, yes, I'm so glad because you're a jerk. You deserve to. You know, I'm so glad that that church down the road is, you know, that that used to be a massive global mega church with tens of thousands of people coming. I'm so glad that their senior pastor has finally got what he deserved and he's been exposed as a fraud and had to resign. I've never heard that in recent months amongst conservative envious churches. Never heard that. You see, that's schadenfreude. You go, no, no, no. The opposite of that is to say, geez, we, we need massive mega churches and we need ordinary little community churches and we need wonderfully gifted people and we in this area and that area and area. And it, none of that diminishes or minimizes me. Uh, so you take that energy and say, yeah, I want an identity. I want to feel like I'm special and I'm meaningful and I have purpose. I'm only going to find that in God. And then I'm going to find that in God and release that energy to serve others. All right.
Any questions about that? Comments? Not? Yes? Contentment? Yeah, contentment. Yeah, content with who you are in God and in Christ and in your situation. That undercuts envy very well. Yeah, nice. As Paul, one time says, godliness with contentment is great gain. It's a battle to be content. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's look at the next one because uh, there's an energy, a pathway away from greed. Greed is the next thing we're going to look at. Now, we had a whole sermon series on generosity and so on, so we're not going to spend a bunch of time here. but. Um, uh, there is a, an energy for sustenance, like, and by sustenance, we mean food, resources, money. It's okay to want those things. And the story that uh, Jeff read from Mark chapter six, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus recognizes that the crowds around him are hungry. And he doesn't say to his disciples, tell them not to be hungry. Because hunger is a human desire. It comes from God. The question is, well, how's that going to be met? How's that hunger going to be met? So, uh, and different people, as we say, we have different uh, energies for sustenance. Some people are highly driven towards sustenance. Uh, towards and, and sustenance can lead to greed. And greed can take uh, two forms. There can be the greed of accumulation. I want more and more and more and more. And the greed of preservation. I've got to hang on to what I've got. And they're slightly different. I want more and more and more and more. I've got to hang on to what I've got. I've seen both in myself. I've seen both in other people. Uh, and the energy underneath it is, is from God. Like it's okay to want food. And it's okay to want to preserve your food. It's okay to want money. It's okay to want to succeed. It's okay to want to create wealth. And it's okay to want to save that and preserve that for yourself and your kids and your grandkids. All of that is fine. But if, uh, if your energy, your desire for sustenance is uh, directed to yourself and away from God, it will inevitably lead to greed, either accumulation or preservation. So what you actually want to do, which is what we see in the story in Mark 6, what we want is to take that energy for sustenance and bring about sharing. So that's what Jesus says to the disciples. He says, go and feed these people. You've got the food. Now go and share it with the 5,000. Wow. Okay. You've got the food. Now go and share it. So, okay, you've got energy for sustenance. What you want to do, you've got gifts from God. You've received all sorts of things. Now share it with people. Your money, your energy itself, your own spiritual experiences. That's why uh, he uses this, the phrase, the communal quality that is the antidote, the pathway away from greed is need-oriented evangelism. Uh, what evangelism is simply uh, bringing the good news to people. So how do we bring the good news to people? Well, we do it in word. So um, uh, here's, um, we can be, uh, you might think, well, how does sustenance, greed, and evangelism work together? Um, 
we can be greedy for our own spiritual experiences. We can preserve and hold on to them, right? I've had this encounter with God. I've experienced this. I've got this great little community, right, that loves me and supports me and it's wonderful to be part of. Um, but that desire for more of God, even for ourselves, can actually be agreed. And the only antidote is to say everything we have actually is given to us so that we can share it with others. Our own experiences of God, even this community, we want to open it up to others, bring them in. And same with material possession, same with all that we have. And we'll just do a quick one on anger because I did raise that question. What do we do with anger? Well, the energy underneath anger is the heart of and desire for justice, isn't it? Uh, it's this, the desire, the sense that this is wrong. This person is being hurt. I'm being hurt. Someone I love is being hurt. People I love are being hurt. The world that I love is being hurt. And out of that experience of damage and hurt being brought to somebody or something I love comes your desire for justice. And out of that comes anger. Now, there's a lot more to say about anger. And uh, we don't have time to go into it all. Um, and... Um, Anger becomes immensely destructive when it's not the energy behind that desire for justice is not channeled into loving relationships. That is the good of the other. So there is a lot of anger that, that is not directed towards the good of the other, but actually is directed towards destroying the other. Um, I've seen that. So I grew up in Africa in the, uh, during the transition to, uh, I can't even describe it. It's too politically fraught. The transition to black majority rule, to independence, to a post-colonial dictatorship in Zimbabwe. Um, and then I grew up through the apartheid in the final decade of the apartheid years in South Africa. And you could tell there is so the desire for justice that animated much of the, the struggles for human rights and freedom in those countries that I experienced, in the end became immensely destructive because actually it was about, it wasn't about building community. It was really about destroying those who'd hurt you or your people or your tribe. And I get that because there was an enormous amount of pain and suffering. But the difference is, for example, the path of a Nelson Mandela or Martin Luther King Jr. in the United States, where you go, the anger that animated the civil rights movement and the leadership of Martin Luther King was an anger that was actually brought into and animated by and shaped and directed by the kingdom of God that said, we won't just use the, the anger that has arisen out of the injustices of the previous centuries to destroy anyone who has hurt us. We're going to use that anger to actually heal the relationships. Oh. At the heart of those loving relationships is forgiveness. You see, your desire for justice, particularly if you've been hurt, has to be woven together with forgiveness. 
Otherwise, you're going to want to destroy people. And that's, that's tough, right? Jesus says, what, who are we to forgive? Our enemies. We're not just to destroy them. The, the contribution that Christianity has to, uh, to a world of justice is to say, we go beyond cycles of retribution and vengeance and getting our own way and hurting those who've hurt us. To say, even those who have hurt us most deeply will take the energy for justice that wants to destroy them and under God will use that to say, no, actually, I'm going to forgive them and I'm going to long for restoration and healing and wholeness for them. So there we go. Uh, that's what you do with your anger. That's what we do with our anger. And we want to build families and communities and workplaces and a society that does that. And if you have a high energy for justice, uh, that's going to be, that could be a big challenge for you. Uh, so that is where we are. Now I'm looking at the time and I'm thinking we're out of time to think about sloth and lust. But we'll get to those. Um, you might say to me, Mark, what's the practical benefit of this? Uh, we have a test that is available. If you want to do an assessment of where you are on this, um, you can, uh, I can send you the link and you'll get a little report that will help you identify where your strongest energies are. And then we can start working together and saying, hey, what's exciting about us as a church is if we have this in mind, when we gather like this, as we build a community, we're each going to bring our energies around these areas and we're going to you know, bring your strongest energies into the community. And as we all do that, boy, imagine what could be released here. And then when we start to see sin in our community, we can confront it. And we've got a, a, a categories and a way to think about this, right? Um, so here is, and uh, if you want to do the test, come talk to me, send me an email, and then I'm happy to sit with you and debrief with you afterwards. Uh, it's pretty cool. Okay, that's it. Um, let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your... Uh, energy that energizes us, that pours into our lives. Uh, thank you for um, the energy for identity and sustenance and justice, that these come from you. Forgive us where we've given in or been captured by envy or greed or anger that is destructive. And work in our church, in our families, in our workplaces, in our friendship networks, to build communities where we all use our gifts for the good of others, where we share with others what we have received and where we build loving relationships energized by a heart for justice and characterized by forgiveness and mercy. So do this, I pray, not because we deserve it, but because we need it and because our world needs communities such as this. And you want us to be people like this. So uh, Holy Spirit, do this in our midst, I pray. Amen.